Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Field Quiver Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Jody Thibodeau, and it's my goal with this and every other episode to help you fill your quiver with God and the great outdoors. Now, if you haven't already, make sure that you're following the show and turn on notifications so that you'll get an alert whenever new content drops. And also, if you haven't yet, make sure you give us a, a good rating and review wherever you're listening or watching the show. That'll help us with these algorithms. I have no idea how they work, but the more ratings and reviews that you have, Word on the street is it will make the show pop up in more people's uh, searches and feeds for uh, their possible interest. And there's a few other ways that I'd like to ask you if you don't mind to support the show. Uh, the first is through prayer. Uh, it, just pray for the show. Pray for myself. Another way that you can support the show that it costs you absolutely nothing and take just a matter of a few seconds is go ahead and uh, recommend us to some friends that you think might be interested in the content as well. Now, if you're looking to support the show in some other ways, uh, you can do that by buying swag from fieldquiveroutdoors.com. The podcast is a ministry of Field Quiver Outdoors, uh, and if you go to the website in the store, you'll notice there is a place for donations. The donations, any donations made, will be designated specifically at this moment in time for the show. Now, in the future, there may be other options for ministry opportunities that the donations uh, could be applied to, but as of now, uh, it is just the show and giving, being able to give out at no cost uh, at different events the Gospel Fly trading card tracks. All right, so now that I've got my uh, shameless plug out of the way, let's go ahead and move into uh, this episode's On My Radar. Now, it's been a while since the last episode dropped, I decided to take a break over the holidays from recording any new content. And obviously, over the course of a month, a lot has happened. But there are just five things that I want to mention briefly. You can go to uh, links at the bottom uh, of this page in the show notes section and read more about these different things. But first off, just to mention the Christmas bird count, if you'll recall, I mentioned it, uh, and I believe it was actually the last episode that dropped, but they now have the preliminary results out, uh, that initial data. They're just waiting on it to be confirmed, but as of now, uh, the current statistics for the Christmas bird count is that there were 1,089 counts, which ended in 15,792,593 birds being counted. Again, you can go to uh, the link in the show notes and keep checking back periodically, and eventually, whenever that data is included with the historic data, that's effectively confirmation uh, that it has all of the information has been reviewed and confirmed 
confirmed by regional editors. Now, up next is another bird count that's coming up in February. It will be February 16th through 19th, and it is being organized by the Audubon Society, Birds Canada, and the uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology. It's called the Great Backyard Bird Count. And over those four days, what they're asking is folks to just take at least 15 minutes on one or more of those four days, go outside, see what all birds you can uh, see, identify, and document through either the eBird website, the eBird app, or the Merlin Bird ID app. Now, once you input your data on any of those days, it will automatically go into the count. Uh, I'm not sure how they will be releasing the statistics, but again, just go to the link in the show notes and you can find out as much information about, about that event as you would like. Also, right after the last episode dropped, Colorado released five more wolves, bringing the total reintroduction count to 10. Now, these are the last of the wolves that they will be able to get from Oregon, unless Oregon changes the agreement or they come into a new agreement, which puts Colorado in a little bit of a bind based on everything I've been reading, because their goal is to have reintroduced 15 wolves by mid-March, but they don't have another state that's willing to cooperate with them for them to obtain the five more wolves they need to get them to the 15. If you want information about the 10 wolves that have been released thus far, again, link in the show notes. And you can find out the sexes of the wolves, the ages of the wolves, their uh, official names, and I believe it had their weights and a few other data sets uh, for each of the 10 that they've already reintroduced. Kids in Parks, if you're not familiar, uh, definitely go to the website and the link and look into it. It is an amazing program. I enjoy doing uh, their different activities with my kids. I'm sure if you have kids, they'll enjoy it as well. And even adults uh, going through their pamphlets on their different trails spread across the country are, are fun and informative. But the thing with them is they just announced their year-end stat of having introduced 25 new trails in 2023. And this actually includes the first uh, angling trail, which I believe was in North Carolina. And again, if you click on the link, you can look at the 25 specific trails and it will tell you what the different uh, activities for each trail that were introduced are. And the last item, uh, that I want to mention that's come across my radar is actually something that uh, my guest and I talked about during our conversation, and that is uh, the cicada brood hatches that are going to be happening uh, here in just a couple of months. Uh, now, the last cicada brood hatch was brood 10, which was a couple of years ago. And that's actually what we talked about was a fly that Matt Zudwig, who is the guest on today's episode, designed uh, around that time frame. And it's still available on his website. So if you live in one of the areas that's going to be affected by the hatches this year, check out his website. It's boneyardflygear.com. There's a link in the show notes. If you want to make your own flies, 
uh, that look like these cicadas and have them ready like I'm planning on doing. Uh, you can order the wings directly from him as well as some of the other materials needed to tie those particular flies. And you can go on YouTube and he has an instructional video as well of how to tie those. But getting back to the cicada hatches and broods themselves, this year is actually very interesting. This is the first year since 1803 that there will be a double brood hatch. Uh, that will be broods 13 and 19. Now, brood 19 is actually the largest brood geographic geographically in the United States, and that's the one that will be affecting uh, here where I live in upstate South Carolina. Uh, that particular hatch will affect parts of 15 states, and it has been nicknamed the Great Southern Brood, and it's a 13-year hatch. The other hatch is a 17-year hatch, and it is, like I said, it is Brood 13. And it is uh, expected to affect between four and five states, depending on the emergence. Um, again, this is the first time there have there's been two hatches in the same year uh, since 1803. And just as a random fact of useless information, your kids won't experience another one. Your grandkids won't experience another one. There is a high probability that your great-grandkids won't experience a double brood hatch, just depending on how old you are now. But the next double brood hatch won't be until 2245, if all of the hatches maintain the 13 and 17 years, and there's no nothing changes with that, and assuming the Lord doesn't return prior to then. But based on their current schedule the next double brood hatch is not expected to occur until 2245 so that's something that if you're listening to the show that's pretty pretty cool uh, that that you get to experience in your lifetime that uh, the next several generations will not be able to experience now by experience it is an experience uh, because these hatches can get up to 90 decibels in volume, which 90 decibels is the equivalent of some lawnmowers and motorcycles. But now that you know what you can be looking forward to as far as annoying noises coming up in a couple of months, let's get to something that won't be quite as annoying, and that's my interview with Mr. Matt Zudwig. Let us know a little bit about who you are and, and what your claim to fame is. Uh, I don't know if I have any sort of claim to fame. I'm just a lowly fishing guide um, in Michigan on the Muskegon River. I, I guide for Feenstra Guide Service or Feenstra Outdoors. And there's five of us guides on the team. And man, it's just really good being part of a good group of people. There's four, four guys and one gal and uh, we just have uh, a really a lot of fun together as far as uh, from a business standpoint. Uh, we all have similar interests in the way that we like to fish. So our guide service specializes in two-handed stuff. 
So trout spay, you know, for the trout and, and spay casting or spay fishing, if you could, if you could call it that, um, for steelhead. And most of the year we are guiding for steelhead, um, although there's about three months out of the year I'm guiding for trout and about three months for smallmouth bass. But the other six months is pretty much steelhead. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as far as, I guess we'll just go ahead and start up with that, with, with your guiding. How long have you been a guide again? I've been guiding, this is my 21st year. Um, guiding. Now the first couple years I was only doing maybe 40 trips a year. At the time I had a sign business. I was doing a lot of interior decor stuff for restaurants and I was I had a year's worth of work ahead of me all the time and I was really getting burned out on it. And so I started guiding just as a way to get out of my studio and and still make some money it was really just an excuse to be outside rather than in my studio and i i was doing maybe 30 40 trips a year so not very much Um, but then when the economy crashed in 2008 so did my sign business all the restaurants i did work for went bankrupt and we were on the verge of bankruptcy ourselves because of that Um, but the guiding business continued to have a demand so at that point, I just decided to become full-time fishing guide. Okay. And that's that's pretty cool the way you just got into it and uh, ended up making it. I guess that's now your what you would consider your full-time job yeah, is correct. the guiding? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but in addition to the guiding, you also uh, are an artist. And uh, very good, by the way. So that's one claim to fame that you have. Um, and uh, folks can check out your website and see some of that. A lot of your designs have gone on, on to T-shirts, on the stickers that they can buy from you. Uh, and I'll have a link to uh, your website, which uh, if you want, you can go ahead and share the name of it. Yeah, it's Boneyard Fly Gear is my website. And basically I that's become my my outlet for art you know as somebody who has an artist brain needs to create and you know when when my sign business collapsed i still needed that outlet so i started boneyard fly gear and did some you know fishing related designs uh, and made stickers of them and started marketing them through that and you know, now we have quite a few retailers, a lot of fly shops, you know, will be retailers for our stickers and stuff. But we also do t-shirts and uh, I have a lot of my fly products uh, from my original patterns available on the website as well. Okay. And people can commission you to do art as well. Uh, Do I, am I recalling that correctly off your website? That is true. Um, I do logo design. I do offer logo design and things like that. Although most of my year I'm too busy guiding to put any time into that. So really about the only months that I say yes to projects are January and February. So right now it's winter. I don't have as much of a guiding schedule. So that way I can get some income during the winter months by doing stuff like that. Okay, so the bulk of your guiding is March all the way through December. Correct. Usually, I mean, really, I just finished up last week um, with my regular scheduled 
trips. And now I really don't have much on the schedule until early March. Okay. And I guess the, the main thing that's probably your claim to fame is uh, a specific fly, the Zud Bubbler. Mm-hmm. And I've I've watched your tutor- <laughs> tutorials online, uh, the older one, and then you re-recorded it again uh, last year yeah. uh, with some changes that you'd made that you started doing yourself with it. Um, tell me about the Zud Bubbler. The Zud Bubbler is a fly that really came about um, before I started guiding. Uh, there was a particular bass bug that I really loved. Um, it was called the Gerbubble Bug. And it was invented in like the 1940s by a guy named Tom Loving. And I was just enamored with this particular popper. It had a square head. It made a very different sound when it popped than any of the round cylinder head poppers. And so I I made a lot of those. And in fact, you know, for any viewers who are watching this, this is kind of what the original looked like. That's an original Gerbubble bug, and it's got feathers coming out the side, but it's got the square head in the front, which makes a very different pop. So I was making those not just for fishing, but I was selling those to like antique shops, you know, and I would make it clear this isn't really an antique, but it looks like an antique, you know, just because it's a really old school popper, and I would sort of antique it a little bit. Um, but when I started guiding uh, to, you know, to put an hour or two into one of these balsa poppers to have it lost in a tree, you know, or or to a pike or something like that wasn't really feasible. So I was walking through Home Depot or something like that one day and saw all of these floor mats for like kids' playrooms and stuff like that. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. So I bought a pack of these foam mats and came home and started cutting the heads out of those And it made the tying process, you know, five minutes versus an hour and a half. And that's kind of how the Zud Bubbler was born. Okay. And yeah, we're going to talk some more because I have a lot of questions for you about the, uh, your balsa bugs that that you tie and and offer on your website. But uh, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But as far as the, the Zud Bubbler, um, you've actually, uh, teamed up or they came to you with hairline and folks don't have to go to Lowe's or Walmart and buy the foam mat and cut them out themselves. They can go ahead and buy uh, the little squares. I don't know if my camera will focus or not, um, but I actually just ordered some from you. I actually got them in the mail yesterday, so I haven't had the opportunity to try and time myself. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I mean, they, they come in packs of, what, what is it? Packs of six? There's six in a pack, yeah. And there's like yeah. 13 different colors that are available. Um, and originally, Hairline approached me just because they were seeing my my Instagram feed of me making all of these poppers. And I've had a relationship with Hairline for years doing, you know, design work and stuff like that. And so Marcos at Hairline asked if they could carry the Zud Bubbler bodies. And we came to an agreement and it worked out. And they did for probably three, maybe four years. Um, And then the next greatest popper came along, which was like the double barrel surface seducer. And it's a great Mm -hmm. bug too. Um, But they were selling way more of those than the Zud Bubblers. So they discontinued the Zud Bubblers at that point. 
Okay. So, I probably have 50,000 of them in stock at, at this point, <laughs> but we do sell you. them through our website, retail and wholesale. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Cause I ordered them from your website, uh, right. along with a couple other things that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But, um, I mean, folks can, if they really want to go through the, the pain and labor of making their own, mm -hmm. they could buy the, the mats from, from yep. Lowe's or Walmart or wherever, uh, or they could go with convenience and just order from you. Right. Um, which is the route I went. But, um, now, as far as tying the Zud Bubbler, um, I know you've made some changes in your personal preferences of how you tie them, uh, according to the video you recorded last year. Yep. Now, for somebody new to fly tying like myself, um, I've watched the tutorials, both of them probably a half dozen to a dozen times each now. Um, but uh, for folks that haven't watched it yet, uh, let's just kind of, if you don't mind, what what all materials does somebody need other than the body itself uh, as far as right. like what well, hook size, hook style? Right, right here with me, if you can see that. That's the, the finished bug right there. So okay. basically for the tail, we have just one marabou feather. It can be any color marabou. You know, sometimes the bass prefer one color over another. I mean, I anybody who bass fishes can tell you bass are very color sensitive. So one color could work one day and then not work the next day, but just a marabou feather for the tail. Then we have some rubber legs out back here and then a schloppen feather for the hackle. Then we okay. have this bubbler popper foam head and then just a couple rubber legs through the side. It's, it's really quite a simple fly. It doesn't take me more than, you know, four or five minutes to tie one but it makes a very distinct pop with the square head and it's been a very effective bug. Uh, for the hook, my hook is generally a Daiichi or a core brand hook uh, made by A-Rex and it's uh, a number 2461 in a size 3-0. Okay. Uh, what was the size again? It's a 3-0 hook. A 3-0, okay. So it's a pretty big fly. You know, but when we're bass fishing, at least in my boat, we're we're not hunting for numbers. We're hunting for a big bass. Right. And as a guide, are these flies some that you usually have for, for clients to use if they want to? Yeah, generally most of my bass trips, um, we're probably throwing a Zud Bubbler 80% of the time. And it's really the only popper we ever use in my boat, unless somebody comes with their own like deer hair bugs that they want to use or something like that. But that's really a rare thing. So we're either using a Zud Bubbler popper or we're fishing a streamer, one of my streamer patterns just under the surface. Okay. So it's all and visual regardless of what we're, what we're fishing with. Okay. And I know in one of your tutorials, uh, you talk about marking up the body. Uh, just to give it a little bit more color. Now, have yeah. you ever uh, painted or actually put a sealant over the entire body of, of one of the, the foam I bodies? I have, although it's so not necessary. I mean, all, right. my, all my balsa bugs are sealed with 30-minute epoxy. But as far as the Zud Bubbler goes, you know, you can catch 100 fish. If you tie it right, you can catch 100 bass with one popper, and the foam will get really chewed up. You know, but it'll hold up. It doesn't okay. need any sort of coating. Okay. 
Now, is the Zud Bobbler and, and the Gerbobbler, um, or the Gerbobble bug, yep. are they supposed to emulate a frog? Is Generally, that the yes. intent? Okay. Yeah. Although, you know, if you tie it in certain colors, you can imitate like a wounded bait fish, a shad or something like that. Okay. I have another pattern that's called the wiggle zud bubbler. And basically the head is turned around backwards and the, the hook has a bend in it. So it imitates a wounded, a wounded shad right on the surface. That's, it's got a really nice wiggle every time you strip the line. Okay. And kind of the last thing we'll, we'll use this to segue into a, another thing, uh, another topic uh, with the legs. There is a leg puller that yep. hairline also has, uh, yep. that is, uh, of your design. Is that correct? That's correct. So the leg puller came, you know, after I had tied maybe 500 to a thousand of these Zud bubblers, you know, using a bodkin to poke the hole through the foam and then coming back with a thread puller, you know, it was just like a two or three step process in my, and I just had one of those light bulb moments again, you know, why couldn't you just poke something through there with a hole in it and then put the legs through and then pull it back out? It'd be, you know, one step versus the two or three steps. And so I got with Marcos at Hairline and told him my idea. And I didn't know at the time, but Marcos is super handy with making tools. So he actually made a couple prototypes, sent him to me. We kind of decided on a design and Hairline now sells those, and Marcos is the one who makes them. Okay. Yeah, and uh, how long ago did you come up with that? And that's probably been, I would guess, 10 years ago. You know, for okay. anybody watching the video, this is the tool right here. It's super simple. You know, it's just a needle that has a hole in it, so you can poke it through the body, put the legs through the hole, and then pull it back out the other side. Okay. Yeah, it, it looks to me like an oversized needle because uh, yeah. I know Walmart, you can or, buy this. Or an undersized uh, tire repair kit sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, I actually considered using some of the larger sewing needles, but with some of the bodies, it's just not long enough to push it all the way through, right. put the leg on and pull it back through. But the Zodi's leg puller solves that problem because it's it's got enough length to it where it's going to go through the body of pretty much any foam fly that you're making. Right. And you can use it on balsa even, you know, or deer hair. Okay. It's definitely one of those tools that, you know, everybody else was like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. You know, it's that simple. And somehow I lucked out and thought of it, but. I got you. Now, uh, another fly uh, that's a newer addition to your website. I uh, also bought some of these bodies to, to try out. Uh, the Big Bopper Hopper. Right. Tell me tell me how you came up with with that and uh, some, some recommendations, some tips for, again, folks new to fly time that might, might want to order some of the bodies and make their own. Yeah, I will have a tutorial video coming out on that fly soon. But basically, um, you know, 12, 13, some years ago, I was doing a trip to Montana with my friend Derek, and it was hoppers. We were going to be hopper fishing. You know, it was like late August, early September. So I came up with a hopper pattern called the spider hopper. 
and it just worked amazing out west. And so then I brought it back here. I don't really have hopper fishing on the Muskegon River, um, but for bass, I tied a bigger version of it, which I called Darth Hopper. It's just a great big, basically a spider or a grasshopper looking pattern. And uh, I do have a tutorial somewhere out there with, for Darth Hopper. Now the big bopper hopper is a little different. Um, it uses the same body that I used for the Darth Hopper. Um, although we switched the dubbing to uh, a dubbing from Fly Tires Dungeon called Big Bopper Dubbing. So it just seemed kind of fitting to call it the Big Bopper Hopper. Okay. And one other fly that I wanted to uh, talk with you about and this is actually something that I didn't realize till after I made my order from from you, but I'm gonna have to do another order now uh, to get some of the the wings for the uh, cicada because oh, yeah. I did not realize until, like I said, a few days ago, that our hatch uh, for where I'm at here in South Carolina is this year. Uh, for I think ours is brood 19, okay, and it's it's one of the 13 year. Um, well, that explains hatches. why I'm getting a lot of orders for cicada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it covers 19. I was, I got to, I started reading up on it uh, after work yesterday, but didn't get a whole lot of time. But apparently, it covers almost the entire southeast. Okay. So it's, I think it's one of the largest broods. Um, yeah. But and there's actually two broods. There's the 13 and. The or not the 13 the yeah the, the 13 year yeah there's a 13 year and a 17 year this year yeah. that are uh that are doing doing their broods um there's ours where i'm at i don't remember what the other brood is but there's two broods which is kind of there's unusual the brood, for, the brood x is yeah. what i what i fashioned that basically it's a popper pattern right I fashioned it for the brood x which happened a couple years ago um, and did a little video on that. You know, I, the video is terrible. I wish I, I'll, I'll probably end up redoing that at some point, but it's a fun fly. It's a cool looking fly. Um, yeah. you know, we don't get the brood X's as far North as I am. So I never really mm -hmm. had a chance to fish it in a hatch, but you know, I sold a okay. ton of them a couple of years ago when we were doing, you know, when that, when it was hatching in other places. Yeah. Well, Based on what I was, the few minutes I had to read yesterday, you'll probably be selling a lot this year too. But uh, I know I'm going to be ordering some from you here in the next couple of weeks, probably. But uh, so I can try and have them tied up before the hatch. But um, just looking over my notes here, um, as far as the Cicada X, what what size hook and style hook do you usually use with that one? That's a pretty big fly. I mean, the the Brood X is a pretty big cicada. And mm -hmm. the one that I tie is actually even bigger than the real bug. And which uh, is okay. pretty common, a common thing to do. You know, if you want to stand out in the middle of a hatch, you know, you generally tie your fly a little bigger than the other ones. Um, but, you know, mine's on a three-aught hook, just the same hook as the Zud Bubbler. Okay. And it uses the double barrel surface seducer popper body. Okay. And now... In the tutorial for that one that I watched, um, I was going to ask you about uh, when you're putting the eyes in, mm -hmm. the um, the foam that you have them sitting in, is that 
something that you cut out specifically for those to go in, or is that just yeah. one of the end pieces? That's of, just like, one, one of the, the end house. pieces. Yeah, it is made out of the same foam as I make the Zud Bubbler bodies out of, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just a way to make, you know, like 20 of them at a time and to okay. glue in all the eyes um, because, it, you know, they need to sit horizontal um, just so the, the glue can dry without dripping out. Okay. It's one of those jigs, you know, that comes from a woodworking background that I've brought into fly tying. Okay. And the last last fly that I want to talk with you about, I know I said that was going to be the last one, but um, I, I would say this one is, to me, looks like where you really get to uh, show off your artistic abilities because uh, these flies, I, I don't I don't know who would fish them if they bought them. Um, I, I know if I were to buy one, uh, which one of these days I do intend to buy one, order one from you, but, uh, your balsa bugs that, that you make, um, I mean, they are works of art and how, how long does it take you to make one of those, uh, from start to finish? I, I would imagine you make them in batches, but if you were to do one from start to finish, if I did one from, I mean, even, even the way I do them now, I, I might, you know, carve a hundred bodies at a time, you know, and put them all on hooks and everything like that. And I still probably average two hours per popper. And those, okay. you know, started off as just something I thought would be fun and cool. And I, I do them in a little acrylic display and I started off, all of them were hand painted and you know it so that was a lot of work but then people started wanting their logo on it or their college logo and stuff like that mm -hmm. and i'm like i can't hand paint something on a six ot popper that small and have it look any good anyways so i started doing design work on my ipad and then sending it to a sign company to print on their their basically their vehicle wrap vinyl the same vinyl they'd use to wrap a vehicle, um, except we don't use a laminate on it. So it's a very thin material when it doesn't have a laminate over top of it. So mm -hmm. they're printed. I apply them to the balsa popper and then I, I epoxy them with 30 minute epoxy. So you end up with a super glassy, glossy finish over top of a very detailed paint job. Okay. Yeah. Cause that was the main thing I was curious about was if you actually hand painted each of those or if it was, uh, the adhesive and, and then you just epoxied over it. Yeah. I do still hand paint some of them. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but it, I can't get nearly as complicated with a paint job as I can with a wrap. So, and okay. they honestly, they both take about the same amount of time, mm -hmm. but, uh, they just, you end up with a different product. And they both okay. look really cool when they're finished, but, and that's the purpose. Really, they're just a display fly. Um, right. You know, I sell them for a hundred bucks a piece and surprisingly once in a while, somebody will send me a picture of one of them in a fish's mouth, you know, but, you know, and I, I fish with them from time to time. If I have one, I'm not super happy with, I'll, I'll throw it in my box and I'll fish it once in a while, but okay. they're not easy to cast with a fly rod either because they are a six ought fly it's a big fly okay so all of those that you make are the six alt size right okay i used to offer a couple different sizes and then eventually that would just got to be 
more confusion than I wanted. So okay. I've tried to simplify my life the older I get. And that's one of the ways I simplified it is just offering one size in that. Okay. And now folks that want to try their hand at making balsa bugs, um, mm -hmm. like myself, uh, you have the uh, stickers. And again, I don't know if this will be in focus very well or not. Um, this is just uh, part of them that came with, with what I ordered from you. But uh, you have the templates that will allow folks to actually cut them out the correct size uh, without right. any guesswork, uh, which is very nice, very convenient for folks like me. Um, because prior to uh, realizing you had these, I was looking, trying to find as many tutorials to figure out the sizes, uh, the angles that I needed to cut them at, as far as tapers, all that. Um, this is go This makes my life a lot easier. But um, as far as these that that you have for sale, what size hooks uh, would be ideal for this particular size? Bug. We only offer the templates in the six ot size, which are the size yeah. of my poppers. And we do that because when I started doing them in wraps versus hand painting, they had to be the exact size and shape for the wrap okay. to fit perfectly on the popper. So we offer the wraps as well. Um, I don't know if you saw those on our website, but yeah. you can buy the templates and then you can buy the wraps that fit that exact size. So if you're making your own okay. ball slug, want to use one of our wraps, it will fit perfect. Okay. Yeah, I I have seen the wraps and um that was actually something I was gonna ask you about was was those that you offer. Um like if it's more of like just a peel and stick sticker or if it's more of an actual wrap where you wrap it all the way around the body and if there's right. any need for like a heat gun or anything like that. There's one for each side. So there's one for each side okay. of the popper and some of them have one for the top as well. So you okay. basically put the sides on first, heat those down, and then put the top on, and then and then epoxy it with 30-minute epoxy. Okay, awesome. And uh, like I say, I'm going to try my hand at all all of these uh, these flies, and it it's going to end up like a, a terrible episode of uh, I can't think of the name of the show now. Um, nailed it. I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that. Yeah, it, it's going to be like nailed it, and uh, so I'm going to have to show my my attempt versus uh, the master's artwork uh, that that you've done. But uh, going away from fishing a little bit. Um, I've noticed on your Instagram account, you have a big interest in birds and bird watching. And yeah. uh, I think I, that just a, naturally happens as you get older, it seems like. <laughs> it does. And uh, I know we just, I just spent um, a good bit of money at Walmart on clearance bird feeders and humming bird feeders and bird seed for myself here at the house. But um, uh, I, out of curiosity, um, cause I'm a little bit of a camera nerd and turn it into a bird nerd myself. Um, what, what type of camera do you use? Do you, are you one of those folks that's, uh, either Canon or bust Nikon or bust or, or, you know, I have a Canon rebel T6i right now. It's like 15 years old. You know, I bought it like <laughs> the first year they came out with, it's not a great camera anymore. It was at the time. Yeah. But I mean, now. Like they got the Sony alphas and stuff like that, that are super good, you know, cameras. 
And oh, yeah. I, you know, I get by with it because I have a big lens. I've got the 400 zoom lens, you know, so, okay. and, and thanks, thanks to like, you know, the AI stuff on Lightroom, I can, I can make a photo that I took in like almost pitch black actually look really good. But okay. if it weren't for some of the developing things, you know, like in Lightroom, my photos mm-hmm. would probably look terrible. <laughs> yeah, I've actually, uh, my Christmas gift to myself this year was a Canon T2i. So okay. um, I'm going even more old school than you, but I already had Canon film equipment that okay. I knew would work over on it. But um, what what is the most intriguing thing about, about the birds with you? You know, honestly, I don't think I even noticed birds until I was in my mid forties. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, I'm on the river every day, you know, most of the year. And, you know, most of the time my clients, you know, I'm parked and my clients are swinging flies for steelhead. And, you know, basically I just have to move the anchor every cast. And so I have a lot of chance to look at nature. And I started noticing how amazing birds were, whether it's eagles or ospreys or even just cardinals or, you know, the tufted titmouse and, you know, all these different birds. And I started really just to become fascinated with birds. And and now I'm to the point where, you know, during the, the summer, I'll chase a single bird around for 30 minutes trying to get a good photo of it. And and my wife says, yeah, you are definitely getting old. <laughs> Now, have you started a life list for birds to kind of check off any particular species or I haven't, see you can see? I haven't gotten that complicated yet. I, you know, <laughs> I'm just a simple guy and, and I'm trying to be even more simple as I get older. So I don't know if I'll get to that point from the birding <laughs> standpoint yeah. or not, but I do enjoy birds a lot. Okay. Uh, well, now that we've talked a, a little bit about nature and the outdoors, let's let's kind of switch gears and talk about your your faith. Uh, if you don't mind sharing with, with the audience, just just tell us about your your faith story, your faith adventure, as I like to put it sometimes. Yeah, well, it definitely has been an adventure. You know, when I was 18 years old, I found myself in the back corner of a youth group event you know it was like an overnight event at a hotel my parents basically made me go to this thing you know and and i mean not i was 18 it's not like they could make me go but they strongly wanted me to go to this and you know i didn't i mean i grew up in i guess you could say a christian home my my mom was a strong believer my dad had walked away from god for the most part um at that time in my life, I might, he's since come back and, and is a very godly, amazing man. Uh, but at that point in my life, my parents were going through a rough patch. Um, you know, we didn't go to church very much. If we did, it was, you know, a couple times a year, maybe. Most Sunday mornings, I was fishing with my dad out on the lake. Um, but my parents had started going to this new church, and so we basically went with them, and I hated it with a passion. I can't even tell you how much I hated going to this church. And so I would rant and rave the whole way there and the whole way home about how much I hated all these people and their hypocrites and, you know, know, just all the stuff. And my parents, God bless them, they just listened and didn't even say anything, you know, negative about it. Um, But they, they urged me to go to this youth thing. So I sat in the back corner of this room where it was dark and I kind of looked as 
mad as I could be so nobody would bug me. And at one point, the the youth pastor got up there. His name was Jeff Grinnell. He's still a youth pastor to this day. Um, but he basically was sharing the gospel and sharing uh, in tears. He was sharing how much God loved us. And uh, he, he said something to the effect of, I was, I was back in the corner just praying and asked God to give me a glimpse of how much he loved each one of you. And he's like, I couldn't handle it. And he's telling us, he's telling us this as he's bawling. And in that moment, um, I didn't know much about the gospel, honestly. Um, didn't understand it anyways. But in that moment, something rang so true in my heart and I felt God's love for the first time, really, I think, ever. Um, and it just melted me. And, and you know, it's like I got a glimpse of God's love, but I also got a glimpse of God's holiness in that moment and realized really hardcore that I was a sinner and I knew I needed saving. You know, I was... I was in the middle of, you know, I, I had probably been addicted to pornography for eight to ten years at that point. Um, I, I was full of shame. Um, you know, nobody knew about my pornography addiction. So it was like this secret sin that if somebody would have found out, I, I might have ended up killing myself because it was just so shameful. I was to the point in my life I was... I was writing suicide notes on the back of my ha um, of my homework and handing it in, kind of like a cry for help. And which I I did have one teacher that you know sent me to the guidance counselor because he saw this note, and it ended up being being worse than it, it was less helpful than I think he was hoping it was going to be. But in that moment that I felt God's love and His holiness for the first time, I I repented of my sin. And, and accepted Jesus as my Savior, not fully understanding what all of this meant, but it just rang so true in my heart that I knew it was the right thing to do. And I've spent the last, you know, 35 years of my life realizing what an important, impactful decision that was. It changed my life forever. That moment, that moment changed my life. I mean, for the next day, I was a completely different person. I didn't have shame anymore. I didn't have depression anymore. Now, I still did struggle with the pornography addiction for probably another year until I was just so fed up and disgusted with that sin in my life, where before, um, you know, there was no way to beat it. It was unbeatable in my eyes. But now, with the help of Jesus in my life, I was able to beat that addiction and you know and found freedom from that okay well that's that's how it all started <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's a great story of of what jesus can do um yeah. and god can do in our lives and um I, i'm just pleased that that you're a brother in christ um and and you seem to be one who uh is willing to go out and share the gospel with others uh, yeah, and, and bring and others to Christ. important in, in this life, really. There's nothing yeah. more important. Yeah. And um, 
now that now that we've talked about the serious matter, um, we're, we're going to go into uh, the last segment of the show uh, and just let folks uh, learn a little bit more about about who uh, you are. And uh, it, it's a segment called uh, Me Too. And the premise of it is just to ask you uh, a bunch of questions, uh, similar to 20 questions, but there's only about 10. And I have about six or seven that I ask everybody on the show. And then once we've gone through that list, I'll have uh, you pick uh, three numbers between 1 and 15. And those will be the other other questions that you get. And it's just to see uh, how much uh, listeners have in common with you. So there are and no wrong answers. There are no no wrong answers. And uh, so, yeah, it, the only wrong answer is the one that you don't answer, I guess. Um, but uh, the first one uh, is, what is your favorite Bible story? You know, I, I've been watching the Chosen series. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, I feel like it's a really well done show. But the last episode I watched, and this was, you know, six months ago or something like that. So I'm not regularly watching it, but it was where Jesus called, you know, told Peter he could walk on the water. You know, he said, he said, you know, if it's you, tell me to come. And, and he said, come. And, and so, you know, Peter got out of the boat and then started doubting and started sinking. Um, but the way they did that scene I seriously was crying at the end of that episode. Overall, that particular episode didn't seem that great to me, but that mm -hmm. ending just got me. Uh, you know, it, it's like Jesus realized, you know, how weak we are really in our faith and that we, we, have, we have to have our eyes on him all the time if we're to live this life victoriously. But that, was, that whole story is very impactful to me. Okay. And I guess the next question is an outdoors related question uh, of the any state parks, national parks or other outdoor related venues that you've ever been to uh, that and by outdoors, I mean, basically, if it has to do with creation, with God's creation, it, it can be uh, con considered. Uh, I know some folks uh, would probably consider the the ark. Uh, is is it because it has to do with uh, creation? But uh, what what outdoor related venue has been the favorite that you've ever visited? You know, I'm I'm honestly quite a homebody. I really enjoy my home river, and I'm not much of a traveler. Although my my good friend Derek DeYoung lived in uh, Livingston, Montana, for uh, quite a while. He's also an artist, but um, he lived in Livingston. And so I would go out once a year, pretty much all, most of the time he lived there anyways, would go out in, you know, late August or early September and spend a week with him. And man, it is incredible out in Montana. You know, we would go fish, you know, all the rivers out there, but you know, Yellowstone park was amazing. Um, just, it was just a totally different scene than I have here in Michigan but just super epic. Our fishing was most of the time super good and, and the friendship and camaraderie was, was really great. So I would totally do that again. 
Okay. And I know being a homebody, as you just said, um, you might not have any particular place that you've not been to that you'd like to see, but what what outdoor place uh, would you like to say that you've you've visited that you haven't been to yet? I would love to go someplace warm during the winter. I mean, right now we're in the middle of a blizzard up here in Michigan, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not I'm, I'm not guiding today. Um, but I would love to go fish the Keys or someplace like that. And I've never fished anything saltwater, so I have zero really? experience with that. And I would like to do that at some point. That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely an experience that that would be worth taking up. Everyone um, who who tells me, you know, or everyone that has been saltwater fishing says you haven't lived until you've caught something out of the saltwater. Yeah. See, I've got to go out on a boat at some point. That's yeah. the one thing I've not done with the saltwater. I've surf fished, uh, but I, I've never gone out in a boat in the salt. Okay. So the next question is. Whenever you go out on the lake or any other outdoor adventure, what is a staple that that you consider as a must-have for your cooler for a snack? Hmm. You know, there's there's like these uh, trail mix things that have. I think they're called like what is it? Wholesome mix or something like that that I buy at the gas station. It's probably the healthiest food they sell at the gas station. <laughs> I grab one of those almost every day and, and a and a Verner's. You know, Verner's. Okay. We've never even heard of Verner's in South Carolina. No, we actually have them at, at the Ingles really? uh, grocery store here. Okay, um, it's just a I, ginger I ale. Yeah, yep. they call it the the Michigan original, but it's just a okay. ginger ale. Yeah, I think it's Ingles. I know there is one of the grocery stores around here has them. Gotcha. Um, what is an item on your outdoor bucket list that you have the most desire to check off? Hmm. You know, I'd love to go to Alaska. I've never really never had the opportunity to go to Alaska. And some of our guides, you know, guide all summer in Alaska. But I've always made my my guiding during the summer trout and bass here on my home river. Um, but you know, that's one of those trips also that everybody says you have to do. So I would like to do that. That I mean, I don't really have a lot of things on my bucket list or don't really even have a bucket list, Yeah. you know, but if I did, Alaska would be on there for sure. Okay. Now would it be more of just a sightseeing and exploring trip or more, uh, fishing focused probably a little bit of both i mean honestly i'm on the river every day not that i'm fishing but i feel like i'm getting the fishing fix if you will you know by guiding so i don't have to fish i still enjoy fishing very much but i certainly don't have to fish another day in my life to feel fulfilled so okay and a little bit of sightseeing and and maybe photography okay and uh, maybe get a picture of, of this uh, next question. And uh, I, I know you have some artwork that involves uh, this creature, but what what term are you going with, Bigfoot or Sasquatch? Generally Sasquatch, although I sometimes call it Bigfoot. Okay. Well, now is Sasquatch real? I'm not a super skeptic on it. I'm not a super believer either, but I think... You know, there's so much unexplored wilderness. I certainly think it's possible that there is something out there like Sasquatch. 
Okay. Yeah. And like I said, no right answers, no wrong answers. So yeah. I think this is the one that uh, some some folks might be hesitant to answer because they don't want folks thinking they're crazy one way or the other. But <laughs> um, as far as an outdoor slang term that either you've used and had to explain to somebody or somebody's used and had to explain to you are just a, a slang term related to the outdoors that you don't think many folks uh, from uh, that aren't from your area would know. What's an outdoor slang term that kind of sticks out in mind to, to you? You know, a term I use a lot during the day guiding is the dangle. So the dangle is basically what we call the fly when it's at the end of the swing. And I probably use that term 50 times a day while I'm guiding. You know, because while I'm sliding us back in the boat, we want the fly to remain on the dangle because that's a lot of times when a steelhead bites the fly or a trout. Okay. And uh, then the last question before I let you pick some numbers is, um, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to already know the answer to this based on uh, the type of guiding that you do. But if you could only own and use one style of rod and reel setup for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Bait cast, spinning, spin cast, or fly? Obviously, it would be fly. And even more yeah. specific than that, it would be a spay rod. I just okay. love casting a two-handed rod. Okay. And now it's your turn to pick. So uh, go ahead and uh, give me uh, a number between 1 and 15. I'd say seven. Seven. Lucky number seven. All right. What is the most recently used outdoors app? And this this can include games uh, on your phone or your tablet. <laughs> if you even use outdoor-related apps on, on your phone. Honestly, the outdoor app I use would be either the weather app, because the weather is pretty right. important when I'm guiding, um, or checking the water level, you know, the U.S. Geological uh, survey website. Okay. Water level. All right. Well, give me another number uh, between one and fifteen. How about three? Three. What is an outdoor-related skill or knowledge that you feel everyone should have or know? How to build a fire. Okay. I'd say without a doubt, that's got to be the most basic skill you have to know if you're going to be in the yeah. outdoors. Right. And one more number and we'll be done. Mm, how about 15? 15. What is your favorite outdoor or adventure book? Oh, gosh. Honestly, most of the books I read are not outdoor related. Um, I have a huge collection of you know fishing books you know most of them signed by the authors and stuff and mm -hmm. and honestly i don't read very many of them but uh you know the guide service that i work for feenstra guide service um kevin feenstra is the owner and he's written a number uh or he's written one one really popular book and he's working on another one and, and there's lots of magazine articles and things like that but probably his book is one of the few outdoor books that I've read from cover to cover. Okay. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show and uh, playing along with, with me too here at the end and sharing your, your faith adventure. And, uh, but uh, before I let you go, 
mm-hmm. something that that I try to do with my guest when I remember um, is uh, go ahead and give you the opportunity to let folks know how they can find you, um, be it website, how uh, they can order products from you. And we've already mentioned the website. I'll have a link here in the show description to it. Uh, and if they want to hire you out as a guide, how, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so my, my artwork is offered, like we said, through boneyardflygear.com. And for my guide service, it's feenstraoutdoors.com. So feenstra is F-E-E-N-S-T-R-A, feenstraoutdoors.com. Okay, and I'll make sure I have a link to both of those uh, here in the show notes. And uh, just one other thing that I just thought about that, that I meant to ask you earlier but where did you come up with the name uh, for your company, for the Boneyard Flag Gear? What, what's the backstory on that? You know, that's kind of a funny story. I used, when I originally started offering decals at some of the fly fishing shows, it was offered under my then guide service website, which was troutguide.com, which I no longer even have that website. Um, but one of my most popular selling decals was my logo now which is basically a skeleton fish which was basically drawn after a dead salmon on the side of the river and uh, so i decided since that one at the time was my number one selling decal i was going to make that my logo so i needed a name that went along with that logo so that's how boneyard fly gear was born okay and then like i said i appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and uh but before i let you go uh just just one last question that i do try to ask everybody um for the audience uh, what is something in a way that they can support you through prayer what what is a way that that folks can pray for you oh man that's a great question um you know i really just want god to use me in the state I'm in as a fishing guide, I definitely feel like this is a calling just as much as any other calling. You know, this is, this is what I was born to do in this moment. And I just want it to be used for his glory. And, you know, I've had the opportunity on my boat to lead numerous people to Jesus. And it, man, it's an amazing feeling, you know, being the one that gets to bring in the harvest from all the seeds that other people planted but whether I'm planting seeds in people's heart or or I get to you know lead them to Jesus, I just want to be used by God and to be a good example while I'm out there. Great. Well, Matt, I, I can that. I can go into I will I will definitely add you on my prayer prayer list with that with that request and be praying for for God to use you for for His benefit for His glory. Thank you. All right.